What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to From Scratch. My name's Michael Ruhlman, and I've spent the last 20 years in professional kitchens writing about and with the world's best chefs. From Scratch is a podcast about cooking. In each episode, we'll talk with one chef and one non-chef about the same theme. In this episode, more than one. The great thing about the cooking life is that you never stop learning. In this show, I want to go to the edges of what I know and then go beyond, together with you, with all chefs, home cooks, and everyone who cares about food and cooking. Today's theme is wine and spirits. Wine is a great tool for cooks. It adds flavor, acidity, complexity. It's also a culturally important partner to food and to a great meal. Wine and spirits are likewise a pleasure to share with friends and sometimes to cook with. We'll be speaking with a wine producer and three chefs on the subject, making a traditional wine reduction sauce and also one of the most loved, and by me, maligned, cocktails on the planet. I've known Brian Polson for more than 20 years. He's the former chef owner of numerous award-winning restaurants in the Detroit area and teaches charcuterie at Schoolcraft College in Livonia, Michigan. We've written three books together. We do hog butchery classes around the country and generally like to have a good time. I've invited him into my small Manhattan kitchen to cook because it's a blast, and he's so smart and articulate about cooking. He'll be joining me for a number of episodes. Today we'll be making a classic chicken julier, a fancy term for sauce. Lier simply means it's thickened with something. 
a liaison, it's called in French, and it's flavored with a white wine reduction using an inexpensive Chardonnay. I asked Brian for his thoughts on cooking with wine. Okay, so for me, my, my philosophy is that I don't cook with anything I wouldn't drink. Uh, it doesn't mean I'm going to drink, I'm going to cook with a Chateau Latour, okay? I'm not going to cook with that. But I'm not going to generally use, uh, uh, you know, really, really cheap box wine because there's a reason it's cheap. Uh, the flavor profile is what you're looking for, is the, the red wine, white wine, sherry, Madeira wine, brandy, cognac, whatever the alcohol, the item is, uh, it has a flavor profile. So, I mean, lighter wines with lighter foods, heavier wines with heavier foods. So red wine reduction for beef and uh, white wine reduction for chicken and fish, right? Mm-hmm. Vermouth, red vermouth, white vermouth, you know, same, same principle applies. So the way, I, the way I cook with alcohol is I want the essence, the flavor of it, but I don't want that raw alcohol flavor. And there's, you know, there's schools of thoughts on everything. Like uh, where I teach at school, you know the guys I teach with, these master chefs. We'll have week-long discussions about when do you add wine to risotto? Do you add it in the beginning so it burns the alcohol off, or do you finish it so you want that raw alcohol? Me, I like it to burn it off, but we've had heated discussions in the hallway, not no fisticuffs or anything, but it, it's been heated. Like, well, okay, I, I've been traveled all over the world and I've tasted it both ways. Personally, I like to have things, uh, the alcohol burnt off. So the way- We're going to be making a very basic sauce, simple to make at home, and especially good if you have your own or can buy good stock. I got ours from Hudson and Charles on Hudson here in New York City's West Village, which makes their own. We're simply going to cook flavorful vegetables and aromatics, pour wine over them, cook it down, add stock, and thicken it. That's it. Delicious over sautéed or roasted chicken. It's so simple. I'll put a description of the sauce and how to make it on my site, rollman.com. It's so simple. That is, until Brian gets his fat hands on the pot. First of all, we're making a, we're making a, a, a jus for a roast chicken. Do you, uh, you brought bacon again. Oh, do, yeah. Do, do you ever travel anywhere without bacon? <laughs> so bacon. tell us what sauce you So this is just a julier, right? Jus is uh, the natural flavor, whatever your item is. A lier is lightly thickened. So uh, chicken julier. So we have a, you have some bought chicken stock. I haven't tasted it, but I can tell we need to fortify it. In order to add wine to it, we just can't take it, the wine raw and chicken broth together and bring it to a boil. It's, that's too pedestrian. So we, we need to start to, with a base. So I'm going to use bacon. I would use bay leaf, fresh thyme, garlic, onion, and carrots. I usually put celery, but you said you don't like celery in it. And I want to kind of caramelize these vegetables a little bit. I could use just a pinch of butter to, uh, to maybe um, help this bacon render a little bit. And there you go, thank you. So you can hear the sizzling, right? I want to get, I want to get that vegetables to caramelize a little bit. And then I'm going to do what's called pincé. I'm going to add a little tomato paste to it. I'm going to put a lid on that, let it cook a little bit. And um, I'm going to add a little tomato paste. And then let that tomato paste kind of caramelize with the vegetables in the base before I add any liquid to it. Once that occurs, caramelization, of course, is flavor. So there's natural sugars in the onions, natural sugars in the carrot. The bacon has a, a sugar in the cure, but we don't want to burn it. We get a little bit of black on the edges, or like a, a skid, it's called, on the pan. Not just a little bit of black when you're 
when you're adding the tomato paste is good because when you add the liquid, in this case white wine, you're doing what's called deglazing, right? You're going to lift all the particles that are stuck to the bottom of the pan. That becomes part of the base of the sauce. Sauce making is one of the more complicated parts of the kitchen because you have to find balance in everything. So again, the principle applies. This is a chicken julier, so it should taste like chicken. But we're taking these other ingredients to enhance the natural flavor of the chicken without overpowering it. So we don't want it to taste like wine. We want the wine to be balanced. The wine's acidic, you know, and the elements of taste, salt, sugar, acid, these are important parts. So you've got your veg caramelizing. So I'm gonna turn the flame up just a little bit. I'm gonna get a little, little softer. Of course, the lid at this point is trapping the, the, steam. the steam, which is softening the vegetables, and that's what we want. In order to get caramelizations, you have to extract the natural sugars found in it. And you do that by softening them, because vegetables are even more water than protein, like 85% water. So you get it soft, the sugar migrates out with the liquid, the liquid then evaporates in the steam, and you're left with the essence of flavor of what the ingredient is, carrots and celery in this case, garlic. Bay leaf, fresh thyme, peppercorns would be appropriate with this. And again, in sauce making, it's all about balance. You know, you use thyme and peppercorns, but you don't want to really taste it immediately. But sh when you taste it it, 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 it does its job. Everybody works together. The marriage of flavors is what makes a great sauce. I should clarify here. Brian means the vegetables, unlike protein, have even more water in them. And sorry for you no-carb people out there, but vegetables, of course, are composed of carbohydrates and water. And a lot of other tasty elements as well, which the water pulls out. So here it is, sizzling away, getting some color there, certainly color on the bacon. A little bit more, and then we'll put the tomato paste in there. Okay. Now, also with making wine sauces, my personal philosophy is usually I add the wine in three stages. So if for this... Why is that? I hear that a lot. Because I want quicker evaporation. I want the flavor. So if I add, like I'm going to use maybe a cup of wine in this little bit of sauce. We're making, what, two cups of sauce. I'm going to use a cup of wine. But I'm going to reduce that wine to maybe two tablespoons. Uh, to do that, I'm going to add, you know, a third of a cup, let it reduce down. Sec is called in the uh, French kitchen, dry. Then you add another third cup, sec, another third cup, sec. This is really the key to developing great flavor the multiple reductions. Each time you reduce to sec or dry, the liquid is gone, but that liquid has pulled out the sugars and flavor of the vegetables and cooked off, leaving the sugars to brown on the bottom of the pan. You then add more wine, lifting those sugars off the pan, pulling more out of the vegetables and reducing again. This is how you deepen the flavors. Uh, flavor development is what about. What, what, what do we do as cooks? We're always searching for ways to get flavor. And as you know, good cooking is hard. <laughs> if it was easy, everybody would do it. So if you understand... No, I'd say, I would say great cooking is hard. Great cooking is hard. Good cooking is not Well, to hard. me, great cooking is good cooking. You know, it's, like, it's what it should be. <laughs> but, you know, if you understand... Cooking, to me, if you understand the principle, if you understand the, the method that you're trying to do, it's so easy. I mean, cooking is not a chore to me. It's like, you know, it's like breathing. I have to do it, you know? <laughs> it's, it's impossible. Okay, look. Look at the night. You're getting a little color on the bacon. That's good. I want to let this go a little bit further. So you're getting a little browning from the butter, too. Yeah, that's okay. That gives it a nuttiness, which I like. Mm-hmm. So the ratio for this amount, you can see I cut too many onions and carrots, but 
Um, you don't want it to taste vegetable-y either. You know, mm. remember, uh, what we're doing is a chicken julie. We're not making an onion julie. We're not making a carrot or a tomato. It's a chicken. We're using these other flavors to enhance our original ideas. Same with the wine. How important is the stock that you use? Can you, use, can you use box stock from the grocery store? Yeah, I have to say yes. I mean, you can, but is it as good as if you made your own stock? No. Uh, will you die if you eat box stock? stock? No, you won't die. But I'll tell you what, if you did a blind tasting of a chicken stock that I make and a box stock, we take them side by side, every single person in that blind tasting would be able to identify the one I made. Mm -hmm. Just because, it, I mean, it just tastes better. Right. You know? I have found myself in kitchens and some of you asked me to make a stock or something and they all they have is this box stuff. And you can't enhance it by putting some onion and carrot, yeah. simmering that to at least give it a freshness that it's, it doesn't other, it, otherwise have. Box stock has more flavor than Chateau Fawcett. True. You know what Chateau Fawcett is? I do. Water. <laughs> you know, so if your choice is water or box stock, I would go with the box stock. One of the major differences between real stock and boxed or canned broth from the store is that more than lacking in fresh flavor, it lacks gelatin, which gives the stock body. Reduce stock from two cups to a quarter cup, and that stock will be like a Super Bowl when it's cold, from the gelatin. Gelatin comes from the collagen in bones and cartilage. Box stocks just don't have it. So if you do use box stock, simmer some carrot and onion in it, and add a tablespoon of powdered gelatin, or a sheet if you use sheets. The collagen makes all the difference. It makes a difference between friends as well. You know, the collagen, collagen's flavor. Collagen comes from connective Collagen's tissue. Collagen's not flavor. Yes, it is. It's not flavor, it's body. It's delicious. It's gelatin. Yeah, well, that's flavor. Do you eat gelatin? Yes. Wait, what? Cherry gelatin? No, angelé, head cheese. This is all, you know, everything has a purpose. Okay, collagen does not have flavor. Oh, my God, we're going to argue about this. <laughs> all right, so... That's got, looking nice. That's got, looking really nice. It's got a nice, light, golden color. Now, it depends. If I was doing a red wine sauce, I would take it further. Mm -hmm. It would get more caramelization. But this is going to be a white wine. We don't want it to compete too much. So I'm going to put a couple of dabs of tomato paste in there. And this is called pincé. Cooking the tomato paste. Yeah, the tomato paste is going to kind of, you know, saute a little bit. That's your old developed flavor. Yes. So it's coating the vegetables. It's um, happily, look at the, the, the color change too. Let me turn the flame up a little bit and let it. This is the pincé part. There's a short window between pincé brown and what's called burnt. Okay. You can't fix burn. You can't fix burn. But there's that, just that moment. See how it's starting to stick right here? Yep. You can just see yep. that. That's, that's the skid. You know, it's like, you know, well, I'm from Detroit, so taking your car or a motorcycle and making skid, I mean, it's pretty, pretty cool. So in cooking, that's what we call it. So look at the color it's of the vegetables. Yeah, it's, it's like very, uh, it's brown. Yeah, it's a little fatty. We added that, that that butter, and I think I'm going to take a look at it. Look at there, right there. That's it's nice. Beautiful, yeah. It's stuck I'm going to take pound. a little bit of this, um, the butter fat out, because I don't want uh, this end sauce to look like the Exxon Valdez was there. You know, like the oil slick and then. So, there, there's good color. Now take the wine. I'm not going to measure. I'm going to do roughly a third. You can hear that. So I'm going to let that go down. Think about it. Now, what color is that broth? That, that white wine, that Chardonnay that we put in there. Well, what color is it? It's brown. Right. I mean, it was pure white wine. You know what white wine looks like. So it, it uh, got its color from the caramelization. So we're going to reduce this. And this is going to make our chicken 
julier a brown also because you said this would be served with a roasted. Mm -hmm. So if I was, I probably wouldn't do this sauce with a poached chicken. Mm -hmm. I would do a whiter sauce. Mm -hmm. But a roasted chicken with the caramelized, the, the rich flavor that we're developing right now, with the one we haven't even added the stock yet, it already looks good, right? Oh yeah. So you're gonna take that all the way down. So all the way down is about a half inch of wine. Yeah, I think I put more than a third cup. So I'm gonna add less. I'm gonna get it dry and we'll add less than a third cup because we don't want it to be too acidic. So the flavor, the flavors that are gonna stick here are the flavors of that wine, right? So if you think about, it, if you drink a glass of wine, roughly seven or eight ounces, you're gonna be tasting the whole thing. <laughs> you're gonna be tasting the whole thing with two tablespoons. Mm -hmm. So that that's a Chardonnay. It probably right now has, you can taste acid, yeah. right? It, I don't think it has malolactic fermentation because it's a screw cap top, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean it's a bad wine, by the way. It does not mean it's bad because it doesn't have a cork. But it, it's not aged. What year is I'm sure it's young, too. It's yeah. 15. It's inexpensive, like a $15 Chardonnay. Yeah. Which is fine. So even the viscosity of the yeah, broth right as there. As it's cooking down, it's getting the broth getting yeah. more and more. I would... Um, you know, you made a Bermagnier, which for those of you who don't know what a Bermagnier is, a mixture of raw flour and soft butter. And it's used as a thickening agent because the flours and the fat combined thickens the broth. Uh, that's fine to do, but it makes a heavier sauce. Uh, another way to do this with just a simple dissolved arrowroot or cornstarch, just a little dollop in there, gets the viscosity right because you just want to be able to nappe your protein. Nappé means just the, the thickness of the sauce should just be the point where it covers. Like if you dip a spoon in there, it should coat the spoon. You can take your finger and just run through it mm -hmm. like that. There are a number of ways to thicken a sauce. Reduction, but that can make it gluey depending on the gelatin. There are now new modernist thickeners, but we're sticking to traditional methods here. Starch meaning cornstarch or arrowroot, a pure gluten-free starch, or flour. I like a flour-thickened sauce, if it's done right. You have to cook the flour so that it doesn't taste heavy or the flour gritty on your tongue. It can be a roux or, as I like to do for small batches, bourmanier. That's French for kneaded butter. Basically, you simply knead a tablespoon of flour into a tablespoon of butter, and that's bourmanier. A cornstarch slurry also works. Cornstarch with water mixed to the consistency of cream. That's the fastest way to thicken a sauce. So this is getting kind of dry. You see it? So I'm gonna add a little more wine. That's a happy sound in the kitchen right there. Even on 12th Street in a little four burner apartment. You know, incidentally, one bay of my garage at my house in Michigan is bigger than your whole apartment. <laughs> where I park my car. Yep. <laughs> City living. Yeah. Now, I gotta disagree with you on the Bermagnier. I don't think it makes a heavier sauce unless you t use too much of it. I like the, f the, the, the in both the thickening of flour uh -huh. and the enriching uh, with the butter. Well, Whereas with the, the slurry, the there's no fat. Yeah, there's no fat. And we've got, we've got a lot going on here. But the one thing I will caution, I'm not against Bermagnier, but people don't know how to use it. Mm -hmm. If you don't cook it enough, you have a raw flour taste to it. You have to cook it. You have to cook it. Whereas cornstarch or arrowroot, once it comes to a boil, it's done. Yeah. So Bermagnier, you have to watch it. And then you run the risk for a novice cook. It's thickened. Does it stick? Do they have the right size, the right thickness pot? If you're not using a thick bottom pot, you have run a chance of scorching. Did all this work and you end up burning it? It's not a good thing. Okay, well, we'll see if you can handle Bermagnier. Oh, I can handle it. <laughs> I can take on Bermagnier. All right. All right a little so bit. One more. One more. 
Okay, so that was about, the first one was a lot, and the last two were a little bit less. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna turn the flame up a little bit now. Another thing about sauce making too is the right pot, right pan for the right job. Now, in this case, you see that you have really nice, looks like an all-clad pan or something like that. Uh, your burner being gas, which is better than electric because you control the heat, but you have to watch the flame. So mm -hmm. we call it tuning the stove, right? If that flame comes over the sides, comes around the pot like that, the natural evaporation, there's sugars. You can see it's starting to get a little brown here. Mm -hmm. That will start to turn uh, burnt, and you'll have little black specks. Now, you know, black is beautiful, man, power to the people, but you don't want black specks in your food, and that's burnt. So you have to watch your stove, and there's a short window between reduced properly and, of course, burnt. In this case, you can't just, you have, you have to watch this cook. Right, so you the flame's to, underneath the pan, it's yeah, not reaching it's, up the sides. It's not coming up the yeah. sides, because that, that steam that's coming off the sides is also carrying residual sugars, and that's what burns. So that's beautiful color. We've got the stock melted. Let me have a spoon, I wanna taste the stock. Where did you get this from? Some local? Uh, we got this from another great meat purveyor, um, Hudson and Charles on Hudson Street. Pretty good. They make all their own stocks. That's good by itself right there. If you add salt and a squeeze of lemon juice, you can make chicken noodle soup out of that. Nice. So this will make a very good, very good sauce. Yeah, the, sm the smells, first you get the alcohol coming right off when you first add it, and then the smell gets deeper and richer. And right, you smell the acid? That's you smell the acid, you, you feel do. the acid. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very interesting. It's a, turning into a very, you know, deep gravy colored sauce. Vegetables are cooking. They, they've gotten quite small now because you're cooking all the water out of them. So tasting that broth, I said you could make it, you add salt, pepper, lemon juice, and noodles, and you'd have chicken noodles. That's how good this broth is. But we're taking that already good foundation, what we call fond de cuisine, right, the foundation of cooking, um, and enhancing the flavor with this caramelization, the pince, and the wine. We've got all the components of making a really good sauce here. And it's not overly complicated. So right now you can see. You can hear it, you can hear the bubbles, the bubbles so are getting thicker. Look at the thicker. viscosity, that's about right. Now I'm gonna add the broth. So we're adding about, what, two cups or a cup and a half? Two cups. So now we go to a full boil. Now since there's more liquid in the pot, I'm not as concerned about the flame coming over the sides because I want to boil, give it a stir. And I use, I like wooden spoons in sauce making. I don't like metal against metal that much, even though this is stainless steel and all that stuff. But me too, a flat-edged wooden spoon. I like that because you can scrape the bottom. Exactly. Also, you gotta watch, you know, you can't leave your, your, your stick in the pot too long because you'll burn the edges. Like, I noticed many of yours have nice burn marks <laughs> on it. <laughs> that's, a, that's kind of funny, but I like that. It's a sign of somebody who cooks a lot, I like that. Um, another thing about sauce making too is um, most sauces have some sort of acid. You finish it with uh, lemon juice or vinegar, or, you know, and if you make a wine sauce, of course, you have to use stainless steel pans. You cannot use aluminum pans. Uh, a thick bottom pan is important too uh, because a thick bottom pan distributes the heat evenly. You won't have hot spots. So that's another thing to remember. Um, and what are we, what, what, why are we using wine? What's Flavor. Everything we do is predicated on taste. So, you know, the, the components of taste, salt, sweet, acid, this is an opportunity to introduce acid to the liquid. And... Um, uh, it's more complex than just squeezing or finishing with vinegar or something like that. Like a lot of good sauces are just finished with a little bit of vinegar because that nice acid. You don't taste it so much. You don't say, oh, that's apple cider or that's red wine vinegar or balsamic. You know, you might taste balsamic more than other vinegars because it's stronger. But it's there for balance. Everything we do is about balance and development of flavor. So this is going to come up to a boil. Then we're going to strain it into another pan. 
Now, at the liquid stage, the thickness of the pot doesn't matter because it's liquid. But once we thicken this, we're going to have to pay attention to it after the bourmonier is added so it doesn't have an opportunity to stick on the bottom. And we also watch the flame again. You know, we don't, on this, after we strain and thicken it, we watch the sides because that's where it'll start to stick. You see it's starting to come up here? We're going to give it a little taste just to see. It needs salt, but we're going to finish that later. It's got a richness to it. It's quite acidic, too. Do you want to put some salt in that? Yes, I do. And pepper, do we have pepper? Yes, we have pepper. Look at how it bubbles when you add the salt. So you, do you like it a rolling boil like that? It, well, for just a minute, because I'm going to um, strain it into the other pan. Are you pan. looking for any reduction here? You could, you could take it, but I'm going to reduce it in there. So let's get the other goodies out of it. We've got a second small pan and a strainer to strain out all the solids, the bacon and the vegetables, which have by now given their flavor completely to the liquid. And we have a nice brown sauce, but it's still not finished. It's a little liquidy. So Brian's going to whisk in the Bermagnier and also evaluate for flavor and finish seasoning. It's got a nice color. Do you want to finish the sauce in this pan? Oh, I would like that. That makes me happy. Yeah. Oh, those okay, are now a small whisk. And um, let's do another taste and check if we need to reduce. This is the time before you thicken if it needs reduction. And why would we reduce it more right now? Because it didn't have any flavor. Where it does have flavor, because we started with good chicken stock, it's got a nice balance of um, acid and meatiness to it. It's got quite a bit of wine flavor to it. Yeah, it, but it's not offensive. No, it's not no, a it's harsh complex. wine. It's, it's acidic and complex and, and fruity. Taste it now after the salt and pepper was in there. That changes everything too. It does. I'm, I'm really surprised by how acidic it is. I, I like that. It's, I, it goes good with it. It'll go great it, with it. You know, think of sauteed mushrooms with your roasted chicken and this julier. That's, uh, that's a nice combination. All right, so now a full rolling boil. The uh, Bermagnier, of course, is uh, uh, roughly... Equal parts equal by parts, volume, yeah. flour. E yeah, flour and butter. You start soft butter and just massage enough flour until it gets a nice, like, not quite dough, but a paste. Mm -hmm. So we'll add... You have to add the Bermagnier in small chunks so it, it has a chance to dissolve. I'm going to whip it. And whip, whip, whip. And I'm looking for consistency at this point. Once it gets to be start slightly thickened, I'm going to turn it down and let the flour cook out of the bourmonier. This is adding fat to it, which is going to richen up. It'll offset some of that acidity that we tasted in the wine. See, it's starting to get a little thick right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, slurry also thickens faster. Yeah, very fat. Once it comes to a boil, that's as fast, you know, it's, it's not going to get any more thicker than that. Whereas the flour takes the flour. time to absorb right. the water and to expand. So this is still liquid. Now, this is going to go for 8 minutes, 11 minutes maybe, or something like that. We're going to turn it down. See, it's a little bit hot. And as it reduces, it intensifies flavor, but it gives that flour a chance to tighten it up. And this is a very simple, simple sauce. This is not over the count. Anybody can make this sauce. Yeah. Anybody. Even you out there, listener. <laughs> And there's also something quite therapeutic about cooking, you know? I love cooking. I, I mean, love it. I mean, I, I, I spend most of my time writing, but 
Uh, so I'm sitting at a desk a lot. And so when I finished a day, I loved, I loved the, yeah. the chopping, the cooking, the smells that you... You know, they've even shown that the smells of food cooking in a house relax us. I, I believe so. Helps if you want to sell your property too. They say, yeah. Bake some bread. <laughs> People yeah, say, my God. It's a stress I'll reliever. Buy that house. So let's see the large bubbles, evaporations occurring. I'm going to turn it down a little bit. I want to just, I'm not too worried about evaporation for flavor. I just want that flour to do its job. And, you know, again, Julie should be. The coat, so we're gonna look at the thickness, but right now the, that for that's that's a little bit thin for me, you know. But it's not quite thick enough to nap, eh? But uh, yeah, let's take the rest of that little bit in there. So we rinse. Michael just took the the little bowl with the vermonier and he put the hot sauce in it to get the last bit, last bit, bit which is a sign of a good cook. We don't waste anything, you know. I love the way you you, you scrape every single oh my thing God. out of every bag, every it, bowl, it, it, every it, you, you squeegee it off your spatula, right. and throw it into the you're right. You see every single I, thing. I wonder if it's because I was trained, you know, that way European, or it's because I owned my own restaurants for so long, and I just looked at it as money. You know, I can't, I can't waste. I that. gotta make payroll. I gotta, this week. I gotta make payroll. There now, that looks good. Let that cook a little bit and ready to go. It's beautiful. Yeah, I've got some sweetness from the butter. You've got the acidity from the wine. You've got a good chicken base. You got the uh, the the sort of umami from the bacon. Yeah, right. A sweetness from the vegetables. But you know, it was interesting. You said the umami part because we could have made it without the bacon, and it would still come out good. But that one little element, that one little thing, <laughs> nine out of ten people would taste that. Wouldn't even know bacon's in it. Right. But they'll know, boy, that tastes pretty good. Right. See now. This, now, this is what we do in the kitchen. So now this is ready, and then a la carte service. We take per order, and big glaze of pan, you know, and roast your, you know, I would take my roasted chicken, take the juices that come off the roast, mm -hmm. add it back to this, mm -hmm. and let that cook down, because you don't want to waste any of that good juice. Mm -hmm. You know, we love the juice. What would the sauce be without the wine? Uh, meaty. Um, it would, you would have to finish it with a couple of drops of lemon juice or something to bring it, you know, spark it up. It, it'd still be delicious. You make, I make julienne all the time without wine. Uh, but uh, there's definitely a, a complexity and add depth to this sauce yeah. because of the wine. It makes a difference because of the wine. And again, the right wine for the right dish. You know, this, again, color-wise, caramelization, good for a roasted meat. Mm -hmm. I, I would not serve this with a poached item, you know? What would you make for that? I would add, I would, would white, veg, white, not colorize the vegetables, mm -hmm. no tomato paste, white wine again, but finished with cream. Mm -hmm. And a white chicken stock, it would be a much lighter sauce. Maybe even a liaison, you know, egg, egg yolk and uh, mm -hmm. heavy cream. So this, I think we're just about done. All right, so I, I pull it off to the side of the pan, so one side is bubbling, and then you've got a convection sort of mm -hmm. moving the starch granules over to the other side, which you can skim. That's it. Look at it, taste it. I mean, mm -hmm. now you taste the, now you have the viscosity from the collagen in the stock. Mm -hmm. It's on the side of your tongue. That, that's the right texture, because that will coat to the meat that you eat. The juiciness comes out of the oven, the juicy meats warm, the crispy skin, and then this juice with the acid bounce, I mean, there's goodness in life. So what we're left with here is a beautiful brown sauce, just right for roasted chicken. Easy to do with basic ingredients at home. It's got a thick nappe consistency, deep flavor, and acidity from the wine. 
When we come back, we'll sit down with one chef and one wine producer to talk more about wines and spirits. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Because wines and spirits can be such a casual pastime, I set up a casual roundtable discussion with two guests that know a lot about the subject. I met with wine producer Dave Finney and chef Peter Kelly at Kelly's X2O on the Hudson. The restaurant overlooks a stunning view of the Hudson River. The dining room features 270-degree views which stretch to include Manhattan to the south a huge tree-topped ridge to the west, the Palisades, and the Tappan Zee Bridge to the north. This is so beautiful here. I mean, Yonkers. Look at that. The Yonkers. You, can get, you can get lost in Yonkers. <laughs> um, the, the George Washington Bridge in the distance, the sparkling Hudson, the Palisades. It's, 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 it's an amazing. Gorgeous. Here. This time of year in particular. Oh, it's, yeah. yes. It's a By beautiful next week, day. that will be just ablaze. Uh, we got started by hearing from Dave Finney. Dave came dressed in a windproof vest and clean but well-worn boots. He's straight out of the Napa Valley. 
He also brought a dozen beautiful bottles of wines and spirits. But we'll get to that. What it's allowed me to do is kind of get back to the fun part of the wine business. I get to be in vineyards. I get to, you know. Yeah, what, what is the fun part? For me, it's vineyards. I, I'm, this is about as dressed up as you're going to see me. I'm, um, yeah, you look like a California wine guy. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm much more comfortable in the vineyards. That's, to me, where I really add value. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's still, I mean, I, I have a huge, huge respect for all farming. Part of Finney's mystique is that he has famously been prevented from making any Zinfandel after getting stuck with an unusually brutal non-compete clause from a previous business venture. Then you reemerged with a um, eight years in the desert wine. That's correct. And that was another Zin. Yeah. So um, was when it I, kind of like a fuck you Zin to them? It was a. I, I like to say it was kind of the British way of saying fuck you. <laughs> um, uh, the sort of longer version of the story is when we sold Prisoner in 2008, I entered into an eight-year non-compete on Zinfandel, and it was so punitive that I like I don't even think I was allowed to say the word Zinfandel, let alone touch a grapevine or make wine from it. There was no, no one had a gun to my head. I signed that, and <clears throat> whether or not it was the right thing to do doesn't matter. And the way I was raised, if you shake a man or a woman's hand and you say you're going to do something, then you do it. And I felt that felt great for about four minutes because, you know, I got my puffed up and here I am doing the right thing. I also don't like being told what to do. In a sense, I was being told what to do because I was told, you know, what I can't do. And so that started what ended up becoming a little bit of a um, unhealthy obsession. Dave would wake up with ideas for his next Zen, call his IP lawyer and tell him his new brand names and shake his head after reading them aloud. He was in a strange place, in fact, quite lost, and didn't know where to go next. You can't will yourself out of an existential jam, but you don't have to be passive either. He started doing what I've been doing my whole life. I write to figure things out, and that's what he did. Dave began writing short stories. In fact, it was his first story, Eight Years in the Desert, that pointed the way to his comeback wine, which he named after the story. In fact, Eight Years in the Desert was kind of a, my interpretation or continuation of uh, one of my favorite short stories by Hemingway, uh, Hills Like White Elephants. To continue his creative fit, he and a photographer took a trip. Uh, we ended up going down to Joshua Tree, shooting a bunch of you know iconic cacti, because then it became, okay, well, it's, it's Eight Years in the Desert, the first vintage, let's do an eight pack with this you know highly stylized box and with a first edition of the book and it, talk about obsessive, it became very obsessive. And um, so that was the first vintage of, of Eight Years in the Desert. And what you heard there is something that Finney has a particular genius for, merchandising and marketing his wines. There's a lot of wine out there. And if you're not Cake Bread or Decoy or Jordan, how do you get noticed? He realized that the label can be just as important as the wine. But you've also got to have the wine. Zinfandel is my favorite grape. It's my favorite kind of wine. Tell me about Zin, why you got into Zin. What is it about Zin that you love? Mm-hmm. How does it distinguish itself? When I first came to the Napa Valley in 1997, uh, two things. I was right out of college, so I didn't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I was drinking a lot of Zinfandel because it was less expensive. So I was... Um, Those were the days. Yeah. No, it, it was... <laughs> It was, I mean, looking back now, it was amazing what you could buy for less than, you know, 15 bucks. And then also I had a buddy, a guy named Dave Brown, who has a Zinfandel vineyard. 
and he agreed to sell me two tons of Zinfandel. And 97, which was my first harvest, was like this love fest. And everything came in, you know, logistically perfect. There was no fighting over tanks. Fruit got ripe. You know, it's, it was one of the seminal vintages in the Napa Valley, although it hasn't aged very well. So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, this can be like every year. Well, 98 was the opposite. Cold, wet, rainy, and totally got my ass handed to me and realized no matter what we did once we got the fruit into the barn, as we call it, there's no silver bullet. There's no alchemy. You know, you can you can very easily turn a great vineyard or great grapes into good wine, but you can't turn a good vineyard into great wine. And that started the sort of the ethos that we still, uh, you know, live by is that we try to do 98% of our winemaking in the vineyard and select good spots, get, you know, good aspects, farm it correctly, kind of bring it into the winery and don't screw it up. And then also accepting that sometimes you have this beautiful vineyard that's southwest facing rocky soils and it should be amazing and it's good and then there's this thing that as my friends in france would say that's where you should grow potatoes and it's this nasty looking vineyard and it ends up making the wine of the century so what is it about the, this grape that is appealing to you you know it's, it's as i mentioned it was the first uh varietal that i made commercially but it's i think by definition your first love has to kind of break your heart and i had my heart <laughs> broken by zinfandel that first year and then it kind of makes you want to keep coming back it's funny because we're going to be talking about pinot noir but coming up in the wine business you always hear how hard it is to make pinot pinots this pinots that and it's like this unicorn and i'm always I would tell my buddies that are Pinot makers, I was like, well, come on over here and fucking make Zen because it ripens unevenly. It gets rot. You know, it's like so temperamental. And you can have in the same cluster, you know, four degrees of bricks difference, you know, regularly. It can have high acid, high pH, and high sugar all at the same time. Like, how do you deal with that? And most of the vines, you know, in the past and still are old vines. So they're like temperamental, you know, in and of themselves. So it's it's a challenge every year, and it continues to be, and, and that's, I mean, I think what draws you back, you know, just when you're, like, I'm never going to fucking make Zen again, you're like, get a good night's sleep, and you can't wait to get back and, like, try to not conquer it, but to make it, so. I asked Dave what he thinks about when smelling a wine. In a perfect world, it's that balance of the right amount of oak with the right amount of fruit with the right amount of, of almost confected perfumeness that seems like it's artificial. If, if you're getting all that, then if it's not artificial, then you've done something right. And a lot of the time when the riper you pick grapes, to me, it's always been nuts. You're, you're giving up the aromatics. So it's like, if you want that full body, if you want that alcohol, if you want like all those, those good components, you're probably going to give up a little bit of the floral notes and the, the sort of beauty of the aromatics. And so that's what we're constantly playing with is trying to figure out you know, we don't pick everything super ripe. We don't necessarily want high alcohols. We just want to achieve that balance. No one's offered me a glass of wine. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, you oh. see that? We tasted eight years in the desert first. It was good. Then we tasted a new Pinot Noir that Dave is making and hadn't been released yet. I, you know, it's, it's hard to describe. Um, uh, elegant is one way to put it. Um, and versatile would be another. I mean, it's got nice fruit. It's got nice balance. It's got, um, it's not as alcoholic. And as Peter said, it would, it would go with a sturdy fish. It would go with a, like a nice piece of uh, uh, halibut or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it's not a, you know, the, the, the Pinot, it, it doesn't have the ripeness of that and, and the sort of over the top of the, um, uh, the Zinfandel 
uh, mm-hmm. wine. But you're right; it tastes less ripe. And mm-hmm. so, in some ways, when you're drinking, when you're drinking just a glass of wine, you want to sit down and just have a glass of wine. The, I, I would tend to go to the Zin mm-hmm. because it gives you everything you want. Uh-huh. But once you taste this Pinot, you're sort of looking for food. I got to have some food with this. <laughs> or a piece of cheese, something. You know? <laughs> Peter Kelly opened his first restaurant when he was 23 years old in Garrison, New York. He's since opened numerous restaurants and has been nominated for a Best Chef Award three times in a row. He appeared on Iron Chef, beating Chef Bobby Flay before there was a show called Beat Bobby Flay. And he was featured on Anthony Bourdain's No Reservations, the Hudson Valley episode. I began by asking for Kelly's thoughts about pairing wine with food. So there's two schools of thought on pairing food and wine. One is that um, you want to choose a wine that is similar to the food you're... So, so say you, you order a fish with a, with a, a rich cream sauce. You're looking for a rich wine, a, 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 say a Chardonnay, a, a over-oaked, hugely buttery Chardonnay that's going to match that dish. I have that's to say, one way. I have to say, I love oaked, buttery, old-fashioned Me too, Kistler. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a lot of good ones, yeah. you know, Limon Rocher's, you know. Over oak. I'm, I'm glad you very I'm just glad you brought it up because you don't get off. You don't get yeah. a chance to say that very often. So but thank it, you, chef. But I'm I'm a fan also. But the other way to look at it is with the same dish. You might say, let me go for a Sauvignon Blanc that's got this real tartness. There's no wood. It'll cut through the richness with the, the acidic balance of it. And um, and that's another way to look at food and wine pairing. It's more what you like and how you like to. Um, and it, you know, what you have to do is you have to drink a lot to find out. That's the problem. But there is a school to it, and it says that progression. So in a menu, say you would start, you wouldn't start with the lamb. You start right. with the oyster, and then maybe you go to a fish, and then maybe a, a, a rice or a pasta dish, mm-hmm. and then a bird, mm-hmm. and then a red meat. And then what's richer than a red meat? A cheese. And then something sweet. And the wines would follow in that sort of progression. So with that oyster, maybe we have a Sauvignon Blanc, something very light. and Or maybe a glass of champagne with it might be fine. You go to the fish course, and now you're going to bring in a Chardonnay. And you move to a pasta, and you maybe do a light uh, Sangiovese-style Italian. And then you're going to go to a bird, and now is the time to let's get a Pinot Noir that has some, you know, some elegance and richness to it. And then you're going to finish with a big fat um, red with your red meat. So it, it could be this Zin or a Bordeaux, or you know, th- there's many options. And then you wind up with cheese. Might be the time to bring in a fortified wine like a port, or something over the top like an Amarone that you know because. It's very hard once you've um, upped the, you know, up the game to go backwards. So if you had the Pinot Noir, you don't want to go to a Sauvignon Blanc next because your palate just can't deal with it. Right. So you know, progression is what I always suggest. You clearly like to eat and drink. You know, I mean, the way you talk about things. it is like I want this <laughs> man. To, I want this man to cook for me because <laughs> you know how to yeah, talk about yeah. it. Yeah. Well. You just have to eat and drink a lot. I think so, too. Um, I asked both Peter and Dave for their tips on buying wine 
at a retail shop. Go to a store. If you want to shop for wine in particular, this is the same if you want to shop for chickens or you want to shop for asparagus. Go to a good food store. If you want to shop for good wine, you have to go to a good store and you want to speak to the people that are at the store. I could tell you right now 10 wines that you go out and get and they're delicious. And then you go to your store and none of them are there and now you don't know what to do. <laughs> you have to choose a store like you choose your butcher shop or your where you buy your bread. You have to choose a store that you feel comfortable and you and tell them what you like. Tell them the flavor profile that you really like. Tell them if it's a gift and you want to spend $20 because they're just okay or you want to spend 100 because you like them. You know, and... Yeah, I would, I would add, be frank. Like, if you don't want to spend $50 on a bottle of wine, just tell them. Say, be, don't, don't be embarrassed about saying, I got to keep it under right. 20 because they're a good under $20 bottle, yeah. bottles of wine. I mean, those, those $60 Seven. bottles of wine that you're buying at the restaurant are $20 at the store, so. <laughs> you go to the wrong restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I, and I, I used to get this question actually from my mom a lot. And she's like, oh, what should I buy? You know, and like, she's not a big wine drinker. I was like, mom, you know, go to a store, Get someone, and if they introduce you to something you like, and you really like it, and it's priced right, buy a case, because it's not going to be there next week, and it's going to be twice the price next year. We so yeah. buy what you like, drink what you like. Mm -hmm. yeah. Good advice, and you get a discount when you buy a whole case, and you're, you're going to be buying these wines anyway. They're nice yep. to have on hand. Yep. That's great advice. Um, so now we have bourbon. Now we have bourbon. Well, should we do the vodka first? Oh, we have a vodka? We had vodka. Chef Peter Kelly, in addition to his restaurants, has a company called Slovenia Vodka. Believe it or not, he co-owns it with Bill Murray and the famous dancer Mikhail Baryshnikov. They're all neighbors up in the Hudson Valley, just north of where we were seated. And this vodka project actually began with Chef Kelly seeking out interesting wines. I met this guy, and he presented me with all these Slovenian wines. That, you know, and I'd never heard of any of them. And, but I'm tasting them, and I was like, I was blown away by the quality of the wines. And I, from a country I'd never even heard of. So I figured, I got to go there. So I went to Slovenia, and I flew to Venice and drove two hours to Slovenia, to Ljubljana, and then the, the wine areas. And discovered, met with many winemakers, discovered these projects that they all had. But what I really discovered was that there was no vodka. This is Eastern European country really? that, that had no history of vodka. Huh. And it's funny because Slovenia was where Tito lived. Oh, and, it, really? and so the wars <laughs> never went through there. I mean, it was, I mean, it's, it's so beautiful. But anyway, um, so they had no vodka and they had this buckwheat that grew everywhere. It was in their every dish they served. It uh -huh. was sure. I mean, yeah. it just grew wild. I thought, you know what? If I could make vodka with this buckwheat. Yeah. So I was working on the project. Uh -huh. And I have a friend, Bill Murray, mm -hmm. the actor, comedian, vodka drinker. <laughs> and uh, we started drinking. And um, I said, what do you think? I had all these samples I mean, of all these blend, different blends I was doing. And um, he loved it, sort of, after, you know, <laughs> by the seventh one, he loved it. <laughs> and he said, let's call up Misha, Mikhail Baryshnikov, um, who was a neighbor also. And we called up, he happened to be home. And I said, come on over, because we need somebody to, you know, to authenticate what we're doing. And so he did. And so anyway, we started this project together. 
and here we are. That's so crazy. you should try That's some. That's so wild. And it's fun, you know. I mean, wine so is vodka, nice. But, so vodka is yeah. not just vodka. You've got no, absolutely not. And, and you know, the the buckwheat that we use in this, you know, buckwheat has a high sugar content, so we get a richness out of this, almost a viscosity on the palate. And if you taste this next to anything, the only way to tell how good it is is to taste it really next to another vodka, and mm -hmm. you start to see the difference. No, I, like but I don't it. like to bad mouth anybody. But there's almost a fennel finish on this. It's really good. It's really good. I'm not, I'm not a fan of vodka. My wife doesn't drink very much other than good burgundy. <laughs> and an occasional zin. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, we keep a bottle in the freezer. It doesn't need Yum. anything. And what's great is a square bottle, so it won't roll around. <laughs> uh, and well, it's just, I, have, you know, I have black bottles, so my wife doesn't know how much I've been drinking. There you go. I like that. I like that. Um, this is a really rich, almost yeah. um, aged, it has like an aged quality it, to it, it. Yeah. I mean, what it has is, I, I, I mean, I think. And I'm just astonished by the, it's rich. It's rich. Yeah. There's a viscosity to yeah. it. I mean, most writers are always stunned by like, well, how'd you, you know, it, it's actually, we use a, um, a vertical still mm -hmm. and it's got to be cleaned all the time because buckwheat is so high in sugar. It oh, clogs the freaking oh, thing wow. up all the time. But anyway. Yeah. Buckwheat. But um, it's all about the water. I mean, the truth is it's really, really? about the water. Wow. Uh, I'm, I'm you know, as a sort of vodka skeptic, I'm, I'm really, uh, <laughs> you really know, kind of moved the, by The truth this. is that how much wine can you drink? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So well, this is, anyway. this is a vodka that I would actually make a martini with. Well, good. You're going to will. I, am, I hate vodka martinis. I hate that they, they're called vodka martinis. They should not be. But this is deserving. But this one you will, right? I will. This is, I this love is that. up there with, um, this is up there with the, with, with the Bill great Bill will spirits. be so happy. What's <laughs> <laughs> well, crazy you mentioned the, the sucrose or the fruits or whatever yeah. the sugar is because yeah. when I tasted it earlier with you, I, it has that like almost perception of sweetness. Yeah, so there, there, there's there is. Thank yeah, you. it's Thank awesome. You. Yeah, good. Yeah, and not cloying or manufactured, but natural sweetness. Yeah. Um, what else you like about it, Dave? You know, I think <clears throat> vodka can get a bad rap as being like the most soulless spirit right. there is because yeah. you can make it from everything or right. anything and. And it so when it's, of, it's really defined by its lack of flavor, exactly. So well, it's when it's a really spirit. good, I yeah. mean, that, by definition, it's a neutral spirit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's what I've been told about vodka that that the more that it tastes like nothing, the better it's considered. Uh huh. You know, because it should right. just mm -hmm. you know. But what I like about this is it actually tastes like something and tastes really good. So, and it yeah. does. Yeah. yeah like this you, would be this would be a good um, neat with yeah. um, just minor embellishments what, or just what a, a twist, a, a, a very small twist of lime. Lime. That's it. No ice, no anything. Keep the keep lime. it cold. A twist of lime is like, you know. Well, well you mentioned almost like shot. an aged characteristic. Yeah. Like I, I did pick up on that. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter, do you cook with spirits at all? I do. I mean. Um, Would you cook with your vodka? I, if you go to my website, SloveniaVodka.com, <laughs> uh -huh. you find all kinds of recipes my vodka. Because, you know. Yeah. The I mean, you make pasta. pasta you know, that's easy. With, but, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we do on the on the website. There's a recipe for poached eggs. Oh, tell a, me, I with love poached crab, eggs. Crab meat um, glaze and tomatoes that are flamed with vodka. Oh, um, nice. So it's really, tomatoes and yeah. vodka seem to go really goes well together. Great. Don't they? It goes great. Um, and bourbon. I love to cook with bourbon because, in particularly um, with beef. Now tell bourbon, me how you do that. Uh, tell just me. a reduction. Whatever stock you have in your house, whether mm -hmm. it's chicken or even if it's canned, mm -hmm. 
you saute a little shallot, mm -hmm. you add a good dollop of bourbon uh -huh. and bring it down with a little stock and finish it with a pat of butter and put it over your steak. You could do that with like yeah. a decent organic store-bought stock. I, stock. You can. I mean, I, with I some mean, aromatics. It's better, it's better than not having sauce. Right, right. That's great. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, we you know, yep. lobster, lobster stock is you deglaze with cognac. So yep. um, it certainly makes sense. But we don't think, I don't think to throw bourbon into my sauces when I'm making a chicken sauce. It, or, it, it, it's funny. The other night I had an open bottle of Basil Hayden <laughs> on the thing and I was doing uh, chicken and I was really? doing this shita some shiitake mushrooms with it, whatever. I said, give me the, you know, and I just, Put it in there. It was it was awesome. So you're making like a chicken jus with mushrooms. Yeah. So you threw yeah. some bourbon I in threw there. Threw some bourbon in. So and we're gonna have to try that. You should. <laughs> After the break, we make our way to the inimitable David Lebowitz to make some cocktails. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Okay, 
This vodka was so unusual, I had to tackle one of my great peeves in cocktail nomenclature, the so-called vodka martini. As everyone should know, martinis are made with gin and a splash of vermouth, period. Other drinks change their name when the spirit changes. A Manhattan becomes a Rob Roy when the spirit changes from bourbon to scotch. A Boulevardier is simply a Negroni made with bourbon rather than gin. Why don't we have a name for a martini made with vodka? Well, we do, but no one seems to know it's called a kangaroo, or they feel silly ordering it. But this vodka made me rethink it all. Should I throw in the towel and accept what can't be changed? And could anyone make a decent vodka with vermouth cocktail? To answer both questions, we made our way to my friend, the inimitable David Lebowitz. I'm here with my friend David Lebowitz, who is Connecticut-born, became a, a pastry chef at Chez Panisse on the West Coast, uh, but he's now really known for his writing about life in France. He has several books about both memoirs and cookbooks that explore life in France, and you live in Paris now, um, and you've become an expert on their way of uh, eating, drinking, and you have a new book coming out called Drinking French. Uh, how- how did you get here? Uh, I took the subway, the metro. <laughs> I actually um, I started writing a blog about France when I moved there before people knew what a blog was, and I'd already written a few books. Yeah, I did, it must be said that you were one of the first food bloggers ever. Yes, in 1999. I just celebrated my 20th year. Congratulations. Um, but I'd wow. written a couple of cookbooks, but when I moved to France, I found there were so I had gone to pastry school in France, but I had found that there was so much stuff that was really interesting. I mean, a lot of that stuff doesn't, didn't, at the time, didn't get, uh, as you would say in French, uh, diffused. Um, it didn't get discussed. You know, magazines might talk about like top 10 bistros to go to. Um, and I thought, oh my God, so funny. Every time you go to a dinner party in France, you can't leave. You spend two hours at the door saying goodbye. Um, or like, you know, people were shocked that it costs like $1,200 or euros if you lock yourself out of your apartment to get a new key made, you know. So all those things were kind of funny to me. Um, plus I was discovering all these bakeries and pastry shops and chocolate shops that nobody was um, really writing about because magazines, uh, you know, they came out once a quarter or once a month and they didn't really have the space or they wanted to talk about the established places, the safe places for people to go, like La Maison du Chocolat and Poilin Bakery, which are both terrific. But there was also a, there was a sort of a resurgence in France of young people opening bakeries and pastry chefs leaving their jobs at these esteemed hotels and opening a little neighborhood bakery. And I loved writing about them and sharing them. And I wanted to talk vodka, my least favorite spirit. That's harsh words. Those are harsh words. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I was just with a chef um, in Yonkers, Peter Kelly, who's partnered with Mikhail Baryshnikov and Bill Murray to uh, create um, a vodka that's made from buckwheat grown in Slovenia. Okay. And I was really impressed by it. And so I wanted to talk to you about the vodka itself. I wanted your evaluation as a a tasting expert. Okay. The bon Um, vivant. As a bon vivant, you, as you are indeed, um, to taste that vodka, see what you think, um, and to talk about what I think is the the worst idea for a cocktail ever, the vodka martini. It's also probably the most popular um, 
popular drink in America. You either just lost half your readers or you doubled your readers. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, what are your thoughts on on the vodka martini? Um, I've actually never had one. Uh, To me, vodka is sort of a tasteless alcohol. Um, So I don't understand the vodka martini because you're basically drinking a chilled, slightly diluted glass of alcohol with some vermouth in it. And that's fine if you like that. Um, once it, you know, gin is vodka with flavors in it. It's got botanicals. It's got juniper, um, other bergamot, or whatever they use citrus. So there's more going on in the glass. Um, so I always, you know, I prefer a gin martini. That's why it's, it's one of my favorite cocktails. So that yeah. and the Manhattan, my two. Me two too. Class. Really? Yeah, I love that? Manhattans. I used to drink more martinis. They are sort of powerful. They are. And they go down very easily. Um, (laughs) But also, it's hard to get a good martini. A martini, more than any other cocktail, needs to be ice cold. It can't be cold. It needs to be ice cold. Yeah. So there's a new trend now to pre-bottle them, pre-batch them at bars, and then they put them in a bottle in the freezer. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I actually like shaken martinis now, too. You do? Why? Because they're really cold. When you shake it, it gets the ice uh, moving, you know, the ice breaks up and it chills the cocktail. And some people, you know, the whole thing about, oh, it bruises the gin. Well, that's been widely disproven. Um, and, you know, stirring it is fine, but it doesn't get it as cold. I just hate the the, the ice flow on top. Oh, see, that's they... the best part, little bits of ice that melt in your mouth that are icy cold. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. They used well, to do them at the Four Seasons in New York. You would go to the pool room and sit, and they had these glasses, and they had little bits of ice on top that were, it was perfect. Wow. I would have... I would have uh, you look like you want one now. I, well, of course. I wouldn't <laughs> after that description. I think I read something that two out of every three martinis served now is a vodka martini. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. So sad. Yeah. You look like you're going to cry. Well, it what, are those kind of breaks my... Stop, David. <laughs> Don't make Michael Roman cry if you want to be on his podcast. <laughs> I want you to taste this vodka. Okay. And then I would love it if you would make me and join me in having your first vodka martini. <sighs> okay. Is that a big one? Do I have to make it here? Did you bring it or do I have to make it? Well, you said you had some vermouth and I yes. brought this Slovenia vodka that we uh, that was made um, by a company with Murray Barishnikov and Peter Kelly. Okay. Well, um, so I have Dolan vermouth from France. Tell me about that vermouth. Uh, it's actually, um, a lot of people forget that France was and is a major producer of vermouth, but it's a different style of vermouth. It's dry vermouth that France is known for, or um, you would, you know, it's like a white or clear vermouth. Um, and Italy is more known for its red vermouths, which are fruitier, more juicy, whereas the French ones are drier. They're meant for martinis. Um, but they're also meant to drink. Like Noily Pratt is a famous vermouth. That was the original vermouth of France. Um, and interestingly enough, I went down there and they had like a thousand barrels outside and they age the vermouth in barrels outside so they oxidize. And that mimics the wine arriving by ships from Spain, which is not, which is not far, but they wanted that salty air to attack sort of, oh, so really? to speak. So that's why Noily Pratt has a specific, it's a little yellowish, um, and it has that sort of mm-hmm. salty flavor. Um, thank you. I didn't know that. Well, what's interesting is Noily Pratt makes a vermouth exclusively for the United States, and ah. it's the extra dry. Huh. Um, and because you can't get that in Europe, 
And it's specifically it's because Americans like martinis. They want we want a dry vermouth. We want a clear one. They reformulated their vermouth maybe 15 years ago, and they miscalculated the American market. And people started pouring, you know, because in Europe people drink vermouth as a cocktail, as yeah. a drink on ice. And so they had this, they put forth this heavily botanical, you know, sort of lightly colored vermouth. And people started, uh, they were like, I want my martini, this is not right. And so Norley Pratt quickly came out with this, uh, this you know, extra dry for the American market. And the only place you can get it in France is if you go to the distillery. All right, well, I'm going to go now get the uh, vodka that we put in the freezer moments not too long ago. Okay. Small glass so that David can taste. And you're going to taste too. I will absolutely taste. All right, so you've got a little tumbler there of just straight That's a chilled. Big, big, but not It smells kind of like the doctor's office when they're about to give you a shot and that smell <laughs> of, you know, the swab comes out. And, you know, your whole body tenses up. So, mm, it's good. It's very, uh, it's not like the alcohol doesn't burn. It must be distilled several times. Um, it's almost like the buckwheat gives it a little bit of sweetness yeah, and absolutely. character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we but should note this is not a paid placement. <laughs> it is not a paid placement. It's excellent. Okay. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to measure the ingredients and put them in a mixing glass. Um, All right. You've got a nice beaker there. So I've got four ounces of vodka. Okay. Um, because I've... And that makes the... Ratio easier. So we're going to have one ounce of Dolan dry vermouth, mm-hmm. vermouth de Chambéry. And vermouth should always be kept in the refrigerator. Vermouth is a fortified wine. It doesn't have a lot of alcohol. So um, keeping it in the refrigerator keeps the botanicals fresh. And they say that vermouth should be used within three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, in America, you can buy these half bottles. We can't get them in France, but um, they're quite good. So we're going to fill the cocktail glass with ice. I'm very jealous David has an ice maker. I have one in Paris. It's great. So I'm going to add a dash of this eucalyptus bitters. Or these eucalyptus. I'm never sure as a cop from a copy editing point of view because mm-hmm. is bitters plural? Say these are or this is bitters. It's one of those questions, questions that keeps writers awake at night. So I'm trying to stir this. Silver uh, stir. Should I grab the coops now? How long yes, do you please. How long do you stir for? Until uh, it's really cold, at least 30 seconds. Okay. And I've actually seen some bartenders who are mixing up a super alcoholic drink. We'll let it sit for a bit with the ice just to calm everything down and get it really cold. <laughs> All right, where are those glasses? I'm getting them, I'm getting them. When I was writing Drinking French, which has a chapter on cocktails, I realized every bartender I spoke with hates the martini glass. Um, There's like a symbol of um, the 80s or 90s, and this is kind of old. So I think they got overused. I don't don't mind them, but... They can slosh a bit, too, practically speaking. Okay, so you're pouring. What's the name of that silver thing with a spring on it that you're using to strain? It's a strainer. Just a strainer? Cocktail strainer? Yeah, cocktail strainer. It's another kind called a Hawthorne strainer, which has a handle. Oh, yes. These look good, actually. Gorgeous. And we're going to put a little bit of lemon zest on it. Okay, that's beautiful. Why... um, um, why lemon and not? What are your feel- feelings on uh, olive versus lemon? Well, 
I'm the world's number one olive fan, and I actually realized I like olives, but I don't like them in my martini. So um, I decided to go with, I actually like the little bit of lemon in the drink. I do too. I think the lemon ring is refreshing. I think Roy Blunt said, I only drink martinis with olives because you can't eat a twist. Well, I put the olives on the side because I still like the olives. Um, this right. is beautiful. Now, this is a, 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 a Slovenia vodka with yeah. Dolan vermouth and eucalyptus bitters, which is now called the... Slovenatini. Slovenatini. <laughs> the Berizhnikatini. <laughs> or the Muratini for Bill Murray. I think that's a nice cocktail. Yeah. I think it could be interesting with a little bit of orange in it. Maybe the orange bitters would take take it sort of, would enhance the botanicals. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to add a dash more of this uh, eucalyptus bitters, hella bitters. Um, No, it's quite good. Well, it's good because it's very cold. It was properly made, I must say. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But, you know, (laughs) why make a cocktail if you're going to serve it in like a lukewarm glass? Right. and I was actually out having cocktails with friends, and they brought half the people their cocktails. And um, in America, everyone's polite. They wait. that To be polite, you wait for everybody to get everything, and then you start. Whereas in France, you eat right away because it's, that's, that's when the food is right. So everybody's sitting there watching. You know, Their cocktails get warm for two minutes. I'm like, drink. They're like, no, we're waiting for you. It's like, drink your cocktail. Believe me, <laughs> I'm stressing out. Yeah. <laughs> David's written two fabulous and hilarious uh, memoirs about living in Paris and the things that he just described are called The Sweet Life in Paris and La Part, both available now. And his new book will be out in March of 2020. The remarkable David Lebowitz, thank you so much. Special thanks to Chef Brian Polson for making a simple chicken julier. He'll be back next week making hollandaise sauce with me. Be sure to catch that. Thanks also to Chef Peter Kelly for his hospitality in hosting our wine and spirits discussion at his gorgeous restaurant, X2O, in Yonkers. And thanks to both Peter and Dave Finney for all the wine and spirits. Lastly, my new book is out. It's called From Scratch, but it's all about cooking and 10 meals that can teach us all we need to know in the kitchen. We'll have a link to it in the show notes and on my site. From Scratch, the podcast, is produced by Jonathan Dressler. Our executive producer is Christopher Hasiotis. Our supervising producer is Gabrielle Collins. All the music on From Scratch is by Ryan Scott, off his album, A Freak Grows in Brooklyn. If you like this show, please rate it. Give it some stars, because that helps other people find the show. From Scratch is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.